Pong, tapped wide to Mukhtar. Hani inside the box, shot at a tight angle, well, and finds well, the net! Wow. Who else but Hani? In the fifth minute, Nashville needed that. A cathartic quattro for the boys in gold at Jodas Park on Sunday. A 4-0 win sparked by Hani Mukhtar's tight angle strike in the fifth minute. Their earliest ever goal at their new ground, Jodas Park. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the sounds. Four goals for Nashville, Tim. A match they just absolutely had to have. Before I call you Tim... This might be somebody's first listen, so we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Wes Foley, <laughs> the uh, radio voice of Nashville SC and co-host of Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And uh, you, I- I've already spoiled it. You're Tim. <laughs> I am, and, and my respective discipline is is writing online, where I am the uh, publisher of ClubCountryUSA.com. Uh, you will see my full byline there, which says Tim Sullivan. Uh, for those of you who do not who do not know us by by first name only yet. Uh, go to clubcountryusa.com for comprehensive coverage of every match since, oh, 2018. Uh, great photos from Mike Meredith, uh, complimenting uh, outstanding coverage. And, of course, the, yeah, talk, the talk about a tight angle strike. Mike got an incredible shot of, of Hani's opening goal. Not my favorite picture that he that he took. Tonight, though. <laughs> was it Ariola that he got just with his arms up? Uh, like, no, it, was, it was one of the defenders. I think it might have been Hedges. Hedges. It probably was. Not the first time Hedges has made that face uh, against Nashville SC, <laughs> courtesy of of Daniel Rios knocking him down a couple of years ago on a, on a step over. What a night it was for Nashville. The 4-0 win over Dallas. You know, Before the game, I interviewed Gary for the radio call in the tunnel, and, and I, I asked him how important three points were. And, and he has kind of scoffed at the idea of must-win games in the past. He used the term himself without being mm-hmm. prompted. He said it's as close to a must-win game as we can get. And, and say what you want about this team. They've certainly had their issues getting results lately. But when the pressure ramps up, whether it's a game they have to win, whether it's a road environment that's raucous, they're great at playing with a chip on their shoulders. Yeah, that's something you and I have talked about, mostly, again, talking about a road environment versus this. But it's when they're counted out, that's when you can kind of say, all right, it's time. You're going you're gonna to see a really strong performance out of these guys. And, um, yeah, I think we'll get into exactly how strong a performance it was in comparison to some of the other recent ones. But certainly the result was as strong as we've seen all year. You like to dance, right? I love it. Me too. It doesn't love me, but I love it. <laughs> Today, we're going to do the shaffle shuffle. Ooh, look at you. Like that? That's good. That might be the episode name too. I might have already put it in there. Um, <laughs> uh, Schaffelberg comes in, and I think you know a lot of folks had hopes that Jacob Schaffelberg could be a complimentary piece on the wing. I don't think many expected him to have the night that he did, the debut especially that he did against Dallas. We're going to get into that in the early shout today, plus Hani Mukhtar's continued dominance for a little one note in that regard, but I don't think the fans mind that very much. And and it fueled, of course, a historically successful night for the team, and our Gold Nuggets will tap into uh, that history and some numbers behind that. The defense buckles down, expected goals exceeded, which hadn't happened in a bit. But the pressure continues, and the question we want to answer is how many points will it take to make the playoffs, and what does that mean for Nashville's performances moving forward? As Tim, this was a really good night, but if they end it here on 36 points, they will finish third to last in the Western Conference. Things are tight, and this only just relieves the pressure for a couple days. Yeah, you know, it's a long season, and we've been saying that since early in the year when when the reason we were saying it was, hey, there's, there's time to make up for some of this stuff. There's time to make up for some of this stuff. But we've reached the point in the year where – Every result is going to be very important, and that's because of multiple factors, one of which is Nashville SC has put itself at this at this part of the table rather than where they were last year, right near the top of the Eastern Conference. They're now middle of the pack in the Western Conference, and that makes every single result all the more important, particularly when you're facing playoff competitors over uh, most of these final seven games. Same question we asked this time last year, asked of us in the mailbag, is Hani Mukhtar the MVP frontrunner? Should he be? Uh, and uh, we'll get maybe not that. the same answer to those two questions. <laughs> maybe not. Well, that's also like last year, right? right. <laughs> At least for uh, for many of us. Um, but you know, Carlos played the role of heel to Nashville uh, SC supporters. Uh, also, what changed tactically from the last match to this one? The answer maybe a little less than you think. Uh, there was some stuff though that we can point out, uh, and some other good uh, good questions about the impact of Schaffelberg. A lot of good mailbag inquiries, and then a couple of loan moves. For Nashville in the last week, we'll clean those up, do a little housekeeping and outside in. But first, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose, which continues to be the place to go pregame. But let's say you live in Murfreesboro. 
maybe you go to ML Rose on 8th Avenue on game days. You should. It's right down the street. It's a, what, 14-minute, 32-second walk, but also with <laughs> some pauses in there. So maybe we're like 10 yeah. minutes from the stadium. Uh, Tim's, Tim's Apple Watch told me a couple weeks ago. But there's going to be one in Murfreesboro now, too, as they continue to expand their, their reach to get good burgers to more good folks in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, and that's not the only other location that you can stop by. There's one in Capitol View, and of course, I'm very close to the best and most important neighborhood in Nashville. Many will say it's in Sylvan Park. I say everything north of Charlotte is, is technically the nation. So I'll take I'll take credit for the for the uh, ML Rose out there. But yeah, you know the one on Eighth Avenue is the one that is such a, an important game day institution for us. But one of the great things about ML Rose is it is still a local chain, but it is it, it is a place that you don't have to go to the exact same one every time mm-hmm. to know you're going to have a great experience. It is consistent across the board, consistently excellent. I went to the one on Mount Juliet a few weeks ago and, and had a great time there. Uh, shout out to my buddy Paul who lives out. There. There. I said, I'll come to you. Oh, there's an ML Rose over there. Well, that makes it easy. In fact, he <laughs> listens to the show and he said, we're meeting an ML Rose, right? That's the given for you to come out here. I said, of course. Uh, so it was, it was my first time to that one. Beautiful, beautiful location and a line out the door. By the time I left, we met up for happy hour by dinner time. You couldn't, I mean, it, it was packed. It was, it was mm-hmm. packed uh, as it is for, for match days. ML Rose, great burgers, uh, great conversation, great beers. And uh, we hope to have a good conversation. Thanks to their generosity. When you think Nashville SC, think ML Rose. Uh, early shout. 16 yards deep as Mukhtar stepping past one. Shot! Goal! In his debut! A true strike from the True North! The Toronto Loney making harmony in Music City! I got the ball, I was driving, I saw Honey make a run, so I passed it to him and I was, I was going to go for a return pass, but he was kind of doing his own thing, and, and he just took a bit big of a touch, and I kind of just came in and took it from him, I guess. I, I was a little nervous taking it from him, but it worked out in the end, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great feeling. A dream start. I don't know if I could have even dreamed of, of how well, the, uh, well tonight went. Um, you know, I have my girlfriend in the crowd, too, to, so to have her here, um, and I've actually never scored live in front of her, so it's, it was a really cool feeling. Um, so hopefully I can get my parents out for another game and, and, and do the same. His addition into the group, even in a short period of time, a short window of 45 minutes, I mean, I, I couldn't have wished for any more. You know, his, his goal gives us a little bit of breathing space. He's instrumental in Hanny's free kick, earning it, you know, the, 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 the power and pace that he has through the middle of the field. Um, you know, was a, a very different look for us. But Nashville needed someone else to contribute in the attack. We, we've talked about that. CJ Sapong's goalless streak continues. It's now the longest of his career. But as heard on iHeartRadio, enter Jacob Schaffelberg. What a moment for Nashville. And you heard his comments just then about what that moment meant for him. You heard Gary Smith talk about what, what Schaffelberg brings to this team. And patron saint of coffee uh, says, uh, if you could talk about the new kid, that'd be awesome. Uh, his impact to that left side appeared to be immediately effective. Tim, who called that one? I, I don't think I did. <laughs> what you look at in Schaffelberg is, is that he's not necessarily an elite talent. He is a, a nice MLS player and a, a guy who is going to have a productive MLS career. But the role that he can fill is, is one of the things that Nashville SC direly needed, a left-footed and attack-minded winger. Um, when you look at what Nashville has had on the wings, it's either been Hani Mukhtar played slightly out of position there, or it's been Randall Layall, who is a, a very specific type of attacking player and a very right-footed type of attacking player. Schaffelberg provides an attacking mindset from the left side, whether that's you know hugging the touchline on the left side or cutting in uh, if he were on the other side, which he did not end up doing much on Sunday. But he's a guy who, with his footedness, provides something that Nashville SC simply hasn't had. And that's balance to this attack. And mm-hmm. we talked about how Shaq Moore was so important for that. Schaffelberg almost kind of swings the pendulum back in the other direction and kind of helps Nashville find an equilibrium in terms of balance to that attack. And what a relief for him, too, because he talked in the postgame presser about how he's used to playing essentially with his heels on the touchline, right? Mm-hmm. He's used to playing with that width. And- it's chalk on your boots is the expression you're looking for there, Jacob. <laughs> he, he couldn't think of what it was last night. Maybe that's yeah. Well, maybe that's the Canadian translation. I don't know. Um, he he stands on the outside of the attack <laughs> to use the Canadian lingo. Uh, and under Bob Bradley, you know, didn't get a lot of playing time. I mean, when you bring in a guy like Insigne, a guy like Bernadeschi on the other side, what do you, what are you going to do? But even before then, he wasn't getting the time this year. 
under Bradley. And he almost talked not bad about Bradley at all, but about being relieved at getting to return to a place where he's being asked to do something Nashville needed. And it's something he loves to do more than anything else. And you could sense some joy out there for him, uh, not to assign emotion to a player we saw from, from, you know, the press box, but he really did seem to, to be invigorated by the opportunity. And that's something that, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, what, what this Nashville SC team kind of represents. And a lot of it is maybe a little bit more emotional of a team than some of these teams are. Um, I, I kind of derisively said it about Dax <laughs> McCarty last week, but um, uh, clearly he has proven to be right. I think when you can feel this team's joy, when you can see the joy, you know, from the 300 level of the press box there, it is a team that is playing a lot better. And yes, we can talk about which one is the cause and which one is the effect at times, but certainly you get a better performance out of Nashville SC when you do see that. And the story of the night, Nashville finally getting rewarded for a good performance. Now, certainly in that six-match winless streak, not every performance was was good, but Minnesota was particularly strong, and they lose 2-1. This time, they exceed XG expectations for once. All those goals, all that scoring, four of them, the XG just around 1.8. So, I mean, they, they, they had some magical touches there, some good bounces along the way as well. But um, you, know, you, could, you could have seen this happening at some point. Nashville's going to get another win. They're going to play well and, and you can get rewarded for it. But a Dallas team with the second best defense in the West didn't really seem like a likely opponent to me to concede that season high goal tally for Nashville. Yes, they were tired from beating Philadelphia in the midweek. Yes, of course, they were without Jesus Ferreira, their 15 goal scorer. That doesn't account for four goals, though, for Nashville for me, Tim. I think this was the strong performance that exceeds the excuses that Dallas could, could reasonably make. When you look at what Nashville SC has been doing during the course of this six-match winless streak, and even before that, when they, you know, had a, a win here and there, and but we're not getting the results people were talking about, maybe kind of expecting, you saw a team that was underachieving its expected goals. Dallas has been the exact opposite all year. They have been a uh, kind of an average-ish team, but have been really lucky. And some of that, yes, is quality out of your goalkeeper. Some of it is. Um, I'll just call it luck <laughs> from the finishing of Jesus Ferreira. We've we've uh, kind of gone into the the intricacies of what that word can mean, but when you look at Nashville's you know characteristics and Dallas's characteristics, you might say, oh, this is going to be the game where Nashville looks even less lucky. Lucky, but that kind of underscores why it's it's luck rather than necessarily a skill oriented thing because both teams bounced back and and maybe a slight overcorrection and um, guess a one game sample size. So it is a small sample. You're not going to expect Nashville SC to overachieve their XG or, or FC Dallas to underachieve theirs like you saw on Sunday night. But we haven't been expecting the opposite over much of the year either. And so you do see these things. Not They're not going to get back to exactly zero, but they level off over the course of the year. At one very brief point when Portland had kicked off and had not gone down yet in the 31st minute to SKC, Nashville was in 10th place in the Western Conference live table. It ended the night in sixth and just a couple points out of fifth place RSL and for Gary Smith and company, that means the playoff fight only continues in Nashville. Uh, I won't say lives to fight another day. They would have kept fighting if they had lost or drawn, but puts themselves in a better position. It's the product, according to Gary Smith, of a team that understands the stakes. You concede uh, four goals uh, against Toronto and, and two against Minnesota at home. Uh, it, it's, it's not been something we've been used to. There's There were some players that were feeling the pinch. You know, they, they, their pride was dented. And I think you've seen a group tonight that have have come out in the opening exchanges with a point to prove. A um, couple of things can happen, you know, when you're in a difficult place. You can, you can buckle and you can go under or you can come out fighting. And it doesn't always mean you're going to win, but if you come out fighting, you've at least got a chance. And I think we've seen a team tonight that believe there's still plenty left in this season yet. Um, we needed a victory against one of the better sides to prove to ourselves, to prove to the league, to you know, to keep us in a competitive position. Lots of different reasons why the result tonight was was so very important. Um, but I think you, you've got a group of of players in there that, that wanted to prove to themselves and the fans as much as anything that we still got a bit left in the tank. Great notes from, from Gary there, you know, the emotion of this team, Tim, I know, you know, ultimately the numbers are going to do a better job predicting 
performance uh, over the I don't know. I may I maybe I'm rethinking everything. I, but I think <laughs> it, small sample sizes, right? When you have an emotional passionate team, that's something that evens out over the course of a season mm-hmm. from teams with seasoned veterans. But but in a, on a given night, a team that knew they had to get a win, put together not just a performance to scrape by. Gary even said, he told us privately and he, and he said in the post game, I didn't care how ugly this was, man. Like one mm-hmm. nil on a, on a free kick or a PK or whatever. Like we just got to get something. Instead, it was in many respects, the best performance of the season for this team. Dallas gold nuggets to, to could talk about that. Dallas managed just four shots all night. It's the fewest Nashville's given up this season. And actually since it's second match ever, that one nil loss to Portland <laughs> when the Timbers managed three shots in the most attractive game in MLS history. Uh, NSC allowed zero shots on target for the first time this season, just the third time in their history. A little bit of trivia, Tim. Any chance you can name either of the other two times a team failed to take a shot on target against Nashville? I'm pretty sure on one of them. I have no idea on the second. Um, the middle Cincinnati game of the three game Cincinnati yes. series last year is the only yep. one I can think of. That was three just nothing. that yep. was the ugliest game. Well, prettiest from a Nashville perspective, but ugliest <laughs> in terms of uh, of what it meant for for the drinking habits of people in southwest ohio but yep. the other one i have no idea same year uh uglier game for everybody scoreless draw at rsl uh yes yes that was an ugly game <laughs> but but <laughs> defensively i mean obviously this was not a a park the bus lock it down mm-hmm. kind of match nashville achieved that objective of being open in the attack while still being solid in defense and in fact that attack was in many ways its best defense as dallas just didn't have much dangerous possession it's attack was its best defense. Do, do I need to make a second Pep Gariola joke of, the, of this podcast's existence? I think that one is in your possession, if you would like to, uh, like to make it. Fewest expected goals ever for a Nashville opponent also. A meager 0.13 XG on those four shots. Funny enough, the boys in gold had just two-tenths more XG on Sunday, Tim, than they did against Minnesota in the game they lost 2-1. Of course, that speaks to a couple of just amazing finishes. I mean, that free kick, I know Hani could, could do that maybe in his sleep, but it's not something you're actually going to chalk up to being a high percentage finish. The tight angle shot, I still am trying to figure out the physics of exactly how that one worked out. But it also speaks to the fact that the process wasn't really that different, Tim, between Minnesota and Dallas. As maddening as that game against the Loons was, it was about finally getting that final product. And we'll talk, we'll answer a couple questions about this in the mailbag, I think. And that that's basically the crux of the matter. Not a whole lot was different. A little bit of luck, a little bit of finishing touch. And on a game to game basis, finishing finishing touch essentially comes down to luck. Again, we don't we don't need to relitigate the meaning of the word luck, but or whether you can um, be a bad finisher, which right. It it is a situation where if the process is is functioning and the end result isn't there, there's not a huge need to change the process. The process works. You just need the end result to come around with it, and luck does play a huge role in that. So um, Logan Elliott's favorite phrase, Nashville is finally getting a rub of the green. (laughs) We'll hear from Logan again in in a minute here in the mailbag. Speaking of dominance, though, how about Hani? It's hard to believe that he has two goals and one assist, and yet we're only talking about him just now 10 minutes into the podcast or whatever it is. But he has the brace, the assist against Dallas. He's now been involved in seven of Nashville's last eight goals, 12 of the last 15, and you know, that really shows up not just on the stack column and in the score sheet, but also in the way he's getting those goals. Mm-hmm. He's making the kinds of plays that he made in that hottest stretch last year, too. Yeah, and if, if he hadn't been a little too finely tuned to to nail the crossbar challenge at the MLS All-Star Skills Challenge, he, he may very well have had a third one, too. <laughs> I don't think anybody in Music City needs to be told how special this guy is. Um, if NSC didn't have him, yes, they would have somebody else and there would be moments of magic. But like the X magic with Hani is just completely different than you can expect out of almost anybody in the league. Like unless you're buying a Zlatan-esque guy who has no business being in Major League Soccer and has no business being in Major League Soccer on a TAM deal his first year. Figure that, figure that one out, rules, guys. But you just aren't going to get this caliber of performance from a guy Hani's age so consistently without a fear of, oh, some European team is going gonna, is gonna to pick him off. He is a guy who's a perfect fit for Nashville, a perfect fit for the entertainment product that Nashville SC has tried to put out. And, and obviously, um, from a sporting perspective, a, a very important piece of, of this team, believe it or not. Yeah, not a factor in the international game unless Sudan ever tries to call him in. He, he is technically committed to them. Yeah, he um, was on their provisional roster for, for the AFC championship, but I don't think 
there was ever a, a realistic shot that he he was on the final roster. So we'll, it is something to monitor if he does get called in. What an ask! And you know he would be he would be a, a high choice type of guy for a, for a smaller nation like that. But of course, the decision of of Nashville whether to let him go. Not not my point is it's not a pressing issue right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it true that you're contracting with American Soccer Analysis to develop a formula for X Magic, or is that <laughs> listen the ASA? Uh, interactive tables have been down for me since like halftime of the game on Sunday night. And I've been dying. I've Are been like, okay? Oh, I got to refresh and see what everything I, I've, um, that's hard I think I'm going to pull through. I think I am going to pull through, but I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing it. That's how I felt a couple weeks ago. I was prepping for a match and FB ref was down. Oof, I was like, tough. what do I, what do I do now? Like I, I didn't know where to put my hands <laughs> on the laptop. It was very confusing. Uh, the the manifesto that Dax McCarty gave post game, in which he was accountable, we talked about it a good bit last week. And he basically said Nashville's getting beaten in both boxes, and it's going to take character to overcome it. And I know that again is antithetical to a lot of what we talk about on this show. Um, and yet Nashville summoned something, <laughs> something magical, uh, luck or not. Um, by by getting it done in both boxes and in the middle of the pitch. And, and Shay asks the question I think that we go to next, which is how sustainable is this? Shay says, do you think how we played yesterday is sustainable for the rest of the season? Or was it a one and done because my heart can't handle going back? My heart will go on. I thought was, was what we were going to have there because it would have been a nice little rhyme. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I touched on it a second ago. There was extremely little practical difference in the way Nashville played on Sunday night versus the frustrating streak that preceded it. And particularly, as you mentioned, that game against Minnesota United. But the difference was that goals went into the back of the net. Nashville, maybe you can say Dax McCarty's kind of emotional uh, speeches are encouraging his teams to shoot better, but I think they were trying to shoot better before too. I don't know that a whole lot changed except whether or not they went in. Uh, when the early goal does go in, the game state changes and the team is able to cruise. This is a team that is built to play with a lead. And I think that is the one thing that actually did change is not only were they willing to play with a lead, they were willing to play, play with a lead. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the home draw to Portland where Nashville SC was up to nothing. I think that probably stuck in, in Gary Smith's mind, or, or maybe he was determined to get, get Hani that hat trick that he was a little too oriented to the crossbar challenge to finish. But especially with a two plus goal lead, I'd like to see Nashville continue to go for the throw and, and particularly at home where the risk of going for it is, is probably a little bit less because if you give up that goal, you say, okay, now we can lock it down. And a team scoring on us when we're, we're kind of parking the bus at home is, is not going to happen. You don't need to do that if you have a multi-goal lead. And I think Nashville is is probably showing a little bit of a shift in, in what they want to do when they do build up that lead. Well, and I mean, you saw some real deep frustration that that score wasn't 5-0, 6-0, 7-0. And, mm-hmm. and every game's going to have missed chances. But after the Hani miss, after the double save by Martin Pass on Leal and Mukhtar, and Gary even said post-game, hey, Hani was great, but he had some chances that were even easier than he missed. <laughs> mm-hmm. What could he have had? Uh, it was it was great to see Nashville hungry for more and not content against a really good Dallas team to sit back. Um, and I think that's going to have to typify their approach moving forward because, of course, the playoff push is in full swing and every goal could end up mattering. Goals, uh, goal differential, the second tiebreaker after total wins. Uh, But here's what it could take to get in. Uh, Let's talk about where the playoff line could likely or at least possibly end up and what's next for Nashville if they are able to sustain these performances. You know, how do they get across the line? When does it happen? Since 2016, the last team in the playoffs has earned an average of 47 points. Uh, It doesn't count 2020 where points, you know, obviously more of a points per game situation there with fewer games. Uh, Given the extreme parity in the West, I think that could look a little more, Tim, like 45 or 46. Mm -hmm. That line probably comes down just a little bit. Would you, would you agree with that assessment? It's probably more like 44 to 46 points. Yeah. So really quickly uh, before we get into the actual question itself, I think if there are, are teams very separated at the top and very separated at the bottom, that's when that's when you see the number of points to get into the playoffs go down because LAFC is hogging all the points to a certain extent. Austin is hogging all the points, which is going to be relevant in a second here. Mm-hmm. And then you assume, um, unfortunately for Nashville, it didn't happen, but SKC is going to be shipping the same number of points for most of these teams. So it is going to be tighter when there's when there's a lot of teams that are very similar, but there have to be teams at the top and bottom to, to kind of squeeze everybody together. So we'll use the working number of 47 just because it's that average, but we can understand that it, it may end up being lower depending on how that parity plays out. So with 47 points, Nashville's 36 now, so that's 11 points in its final seven. So three wins, two draws in seven matches, five results, essentially is how that breaks down, of course. 
Three of those matches are against LAFC in Austin. They play Austin twice. They go to LAFC on decision day. So maybe you want to wrap that up before you do that. Um, all but maybe you want them to wrap it up. Well, that's and that's also yeah. a good point. Um, you know, do they rest some bodies? <laughs> and and they're they're not far from wrapping it all up. They've already clinched their playoff spot. Mm-hmm. The first team to do that. Um, all but one of the matches left this season are against fellow Western Conference playoff contenders. I think we can safely call Houston out of contention. Uh, everybody else is, is hanging around there. So each win becomes even more valuable because, of course, you're getting closer to that line, but you're keeping somebody else from from approaching it or from going too far above uh, where they are. And so Payancito then asks the question, how many points can we reasonably get from the remaining games? And Jay Mazza, same question. Could you review your expectations for the games that, that are left? Do you agree with Godoy? 15 points needed to make playoffs again 15 would that was be before the game that, really that was good. before that was before yeah, so 12 yeah. 12 yeah right around that right around that absolutely um and expectations then for for what's come coming next then yeah, believe it or not i think austin should be a minimum of two points for nashville and more likely three with a win in one game and a loss in the other one given nashville's home form maybe not the ones you'd expect <laughs> um but like dallas austin is a very lucky team um they're you know, down to down results, as I like to make my American football comparisons are fine, but they're, they're really overachieving that LAFC. You can chalk it up to be a loss or irrelevant by the time it comes around. Those are basically the the two, the two options. The other four are all winnable. I would say I'm at Vancouver this weekend, home against Colorado Rapids, home against galaxy, home against Houston. Those four games have to be six points minimum and more like eight probably, but there's upside. You can win three of those games and all of a sudden you've done everything that you need to do. You don't even necessarily need points against Austin. So I would say, um, you know, nine point floor is what Nashville needs to make the playoffs or needs to kind of remain in playoff contention. But I would say that 11 seems very realistic at this stage. But winning the games that you should hasn't exactly come easy. Um, yeah, therein lies the rub. Stay tuned. They do love the drama. Um, keep rubbing that green. Uh, Vancouver looms <laughs> next. Whitecaps two points back of NSC after they equalized late against Salt Lake to keep RSL within reach as Nashville is just two points behind the Royals, which means they win. RSL uh, actually wins or draw or loses or draws and Nashville would pass Salt Lake in the table. Uh, a loss, though, would allow Nashville allow Vancouver to pass Nashville and it could see the boys of gold fall as far as ninth. We're getting to the point where don't sweat the table is done for. We talked about that a lot a few weeks yeah. ago. NSC ate up its margin that it had by futzing around in these first home games. So there is a situation where you don't feel like it's a must win because they probably got a, a must win that they may not have expected to actually win this Sunday. But um, when you look at that, you say you have to draw to, to make sure that you're kind of keeping your head above water in this table at this point. If you go out and get a win, you look at you know some of the talent that Vancouver has. Um, Ryan Gold finished fourth in Player of the Week this voting this week. Hani Mukhtar inexplicably finished second, I would say. <laughs> but Ouch. you know this is a team that that is different on a talent level. Um, you know Julian Gressel, uh, who made his debut in Geodis Park for for the Whitecaps as well. So this is a team that you know you look at at the beginning of the year and you say it's Vancouver. It's the same old Vancouver, but they've added talent. They're in the playoff hunt. This Nashville team is at the very least, got to take them very seriously. Yeah, the fifth best home team in the West takes on the fourth best road team in the West in Vancouver late Saturday night. I'll be drinking my coffee before that broadcast. And, uh, <laughs> ML Rose will definitely be closed after that one or close to it by the time I get out of there. Uh, they also were on Sunday night, uh, again, because on Sundays, understandably, boys got to rest. You know, they, they don't stay open quite as late as some other nights. And so, Tim, I found myself... Um, not knowing what to do. I got home, <laughs> looked in the fridge. I had bought a little bit of, of sushi at the farmer's market, which was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled out one of the kids' juice boxes, and my post-game snack was sushi in a juice box, and it just didn't quite hit the same as an ML Rose <laughs> burger, let me tell you. What you need to do, Wes, is, is you know as you get around the 60th minute, use one of your uh, food delivery apps and get ML Rose taken to the radio booth. So that you can be sure that the second that final whistle blows, you are you are chowing right down on whether whether it's the animal burger or the or the Carolina sweets, you are ready to go right at the end of the game. Let's talk to our good friends at, at Nashville SC and see if we get a credential for, uh, for one <laughs> just one. And it could be a designated person every time. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. Just one one credential for ML Rose. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be clutch. I and I'm used to eating ML Rose in that press box. I'll be actually that's when I'll go is before the match on Saturday. We mm-hmm. do the away calls again from the Jodas Park press box. I will very often, pretty much every match this year, 
go to Melrose first, pick up that burger and uh, and fries or whatever else I get that night. Um, not the beer before a game again. I was, I was going to say the problem is you don't get to have uh, any of their delicious beers on tap or or one thing that we don't talk about a lot, a ton of stuff that's not on tap too. They have like a bottle and can regimen that we mm-hmm. we let we let go un, unheralded too often. We, we need do. to we really need to pump them up on that a little bit too because it is very good. It's a strong selection and they they diversify really well. So they've got a good portfolio of pretty pretty equal representation of different types of beers on tap, but then they go to that next level. They have good squad depth, for sure, um, in the in the, in the refrigerator <laughs> as well. It's strong, and about a third of the time, that's the way I go. Probably, mm-hmm. you know, like if I have three beers there, one of them's gonna probably be a bottle of something I like. Then I'm like, oh, you guys have that? That's incredible. Uh, good old like fancy Belgian beers, for instance, mm-hmm. Delirium Tremens. They're not a sponsor of the show, shockingly. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a good go-to. You can get some good, good, like, high-level stuff there for sure. ML Rose, again, our sponsor on the show. Uh, visit them at their 8th Avenue location before or after matches. On to the mailbag. And an old friend of, of not even the show, this was way before the show, an old USL friend, Evan Valella, reaches out. He covered the Bethlehem Steel back in the mm-hmm. day. I think he hosted the USL show for a bit, podcast. Yeah, he, yeah a long-time host of the USL show. Yeah, good guy. Good, good guy. Um, he reached out and, and, and asked, you know, parody this year, and MLS has been insane. Does that help or hurt Nashville? Uh, well, it's hurt them in several matches because they're 3-4-7. and seven. It's three wins, four losses, seven draws against teams currently below the playoff line. But again, talking about, you know, not always winning the ones you're supposed to, but still getting it done against good teams. Six wins, five losses, two draws against teams currently above the playoff cut. So it's been a driver of some of that parity as well. And moving forward, again, as we talked about it, it could or maybe even should help lower that playoff cut line if it continues. When you look at who is helped and hurt by parity, teams near the bottom are helped because they're kind of pushed up towards the middle and, and can make it into the playoffs and teams near the top are hurt because they're kind of pushed downward and they, they aren't able to to kind of open up that gap. LAFC is obviously on a different level from most of those teams. But I think when you look at the preseason expectations, Nashville is expected to finish pretty close to the top. And therefore, looking at where they are now, I think you could pretty easily say that parity has hurt them. It is a situation where, you know, they are one of the teams that was knocked down, not one of the ones that was pumped up a little bit. And so I would say it hurt. And while we're, while we're answering Evan's question, I must say, uh, I do not remember the name of the place that we went, but shout out to Evan for grabbing a beer with me. And I believe it was Media Pennsylvania after the after the Nashville SC versus, uh, I believe it was their first year as Philadelphia Union 2 game okay. at uh, Lehigh University, I want to say. Yeah, yep. Yep. that's right. Um, wow. Yeah, blast from the past. Great guy. Glad to hear from uh, from Evan. Went on his show way back in 2018, and he was like, "So, how are you guys gonna feel when these like MLS junior squads come to town?" Of course, he covers one, so he was trying. <laughs> it was like a trick question, and I said, "It's great. We get to see the future of American soccer." Yeah, Brendan Aronson came to town that year, so that worked <laughs> out pretty well. And that was topical. Obviously, I tweeted back at him with that answer there. Well, the the match that I just mentioned, I believe it was a is either a four one or four nine. I think it was a four one Nashville yep. win, but the keeper for. For, I'm just going to keep calling them the steal. Sorry to Philadelphia Union's uh, comms team. But the keeper that day, do you know who it was? I know who it was. I don't remember now. Current oh, New York Red Bulls keeper, Carlos Coronel, who's one of the best keepers in the league. Had an awful right. day, but yeah. He That's played right. Then for he went to play in Spain Union. for a bit, right? Yep. And then came back. That's I, mm-hmm. That was in some match notes, and I just totally blanked. Good trivia. I and what's insane is I didn't look that up. I just remember it because you because we brought it up and here I go. My brain instead of important stuff has that in there. We are a community of sickos, and that's just the way it goes. Again, you know, the podcasts of record cover the club longer than anyone else in their respective <laughs> disciplines. That's the kind of stuff you get. Uh, Logan Elliott, longtime friend of the show. Is it too early to assess Hani's bona fides as MVP so far? No, of course not. Extra time has been crowning MVPs in week five for three or four <laughs> years. We can definitely talk about it, Tim. Now, let's talk about the subject then. Is is he an MVP frontrunner? That, that's dumb. Yes, he's an MVP frontrunner. Should yeah. he be the frontrunner right now? I think when you look at how important he is to Nashville SC, that's where your best argument is because there are guys out there who are more productive. There are guys out there um, who did not play on Sunday evening against Nashville SC and that hurt their team. And you could see perhaps just how important they were. Oh, and also they happen to be the penciled in starter for the U S men's national team. And yes, you're going to get bonus points for that as much as nobody wants to admit it. Sure. 
So I do think behind Jesus Ferreira, behind a guy like Sebastian Giriussi, these guys are are a little bit more productive and, and you know, depending on how you slice the data than Hani Mukhtar. But when you look at how important Mukhtar is to his team, I think that's where his his number one selling point is. And um, you know, what it's gonna come down to is is where Nashville SC finishes. If they finish outside of the playoffs, he is not a candidate. It's it's really that simple. So from that perspective, it is too early to discuss his bona fides as an MVP because his MVP candidacy will rest upon taking Nashville SC high enough in the table to make some postseason noise. I think that's it. It's got to be tied to team success. I think the same numbers in Nashville finishes fifth versus finishing eighth. It just looks different. But mm-hmm. the numbers are convincing at this point. He's tied for the MLS lead in goals plus assists with Sebastian Driussi, who absolutely should be a finalist as well. Uh, and, and to the viable piece, I think you're exactly right. He's involved in 66% of Nashville's goals this season, 65.7. So not quite two-thirds. That's easily the highest ratio in MLS uh, for his team. Driussi just you know, as a reference, about 45%. Really impactful. <laughs> Cancels contract. Irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I almost think, you know, I, I asked myself, does it help Hani that he was runner up last year? Or does it hurt him? And I think it almost hurts him because he set high expectations for his play last year. He led Major League Soccer in goals plus assists. He didn't win it then. And so there's a bit of immunity built up for these voters. But, hey, look, he's in the mix. Of course he's top three. But rather than it being a lifetime achievement situation, I think it's almost like, a, yeah, he's always going to be in that mix. But, oh, look at the shiny new object. Look at what Sebastian Drusi mm-hmm. did his first full year in this league. Yeah, it's the the Jim Trestle uh, conundrum, which we have brought up before, which is that he was his teams were always so good, and he was always doing such a good coaching job that he was never number one, but he was number two, you know, thousands of years in a row. And then he, he cheated a lot, you know. Yeah. Call it college football talk here uh, and your favorite soccer podcast of record. Oh, we could keep going on, on <laughs> tattoo gate and all that other stuff there with Trestle and the Michigan guy would love to, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Cause Michigan, Michigan never, never cheats ever. Um, never. At, A Michigan man would never. No, of course not. Uh, Pepe asks what changed tactically from our previous match to this one, Tim, not as it, much as people might think by the scoreline, right? Right. We've talked about it a couple times, including, um, you know, to, to a, the question that somebody asked previously. But the big picture is, is not a whole lot. I did think that the initial um, look on the goal that Hani Mukhtar opened the scoring with, I couldn't tell if it was like a set play because uh, Shaq more like crossed it and, and Mukhtar very consciously dummied it as he was running on. I don't know if CJ just called him off or if it was a play that was set, but that was that was so perfect to like basically have a set play but not from from a dead ball situation. But beyond that, it was just Nashville doing what they have been doing and and whether they got lucky in finishing, whether Jacob Schaffelberg is a, is a talent upgrade in finishing. Um, I don't think that there was a ton different um, after that, you know, fifth minute strike. It, it was more of the same and just playing better. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe the plan was somewhat similar mm-hmm. and the focus on executing that plan might have been a little bit sharper as well. Like there was a sense of purpose uh, and, and direction about what they were looking to do. I think you could you could see some similarities almost between Nashville and like a New York Red Bulls. Pretty high press, very direct, again, happy to make it pretty ugly. And some of those things are things we've seen from this team before, of course. They, they are one of the more direct teams in this league. But I think there was a there was a doubling down uh, on that approach that that seemed to really work. And then when you have Schaffelberg out wide, obviously that does make a bit of an impact, gives you a little more space on that left uh, shaded, you know, other side of the field. But I agree with you. I, I think it was about execution. It was about the final product more so than some tactical masterclass as, as good as it was tactically for this team. Good friend Steve Cavendish reaches out again, the uh, editor of the Nashville Banner, the uh, host of Lamestream Sports. Great guy. Uh, Steve, with a long question, whenever he pops up in the DMs with a mailbag question, we know it's going to be a good one. And sometimes we forget to get to it. Um, but we got it this time, Steve. If you compare the passing charts of the last few games, one thing stood out like a beacon. Jacob Schaffelberg in a wide position, high up the field. Here's the Tim disclaimer. It's a small sample size, of course, and aggregate positioning would look different if Schaffelberg had played more than a half, maybe. But the flip side of it is this. This team's lack of danger from wide positions has been a real problem this year, is with the key down the stretch, and how afraid should Alex Muehl be for his minutes in the last 11 games? Tim, I think the one thing that this staff said when they brought in Schaffelberg was, look, we don't know how he's going to perform. We don't think he's going to be a 10 goal scorer this year or anything down the stretch, but he gives this team a different dynamic. How, how important was that different dynamic? And, and do you think that's going to be a key moving forward? Yeah, I don't know that it's going to be in every game as important as it, as it seems to have been in the win over FC Dallas, but we talked about it already. A dude who is left footed and playing in the attacking part of the field. I don't 
off the top of my head, I don't think there's a single lefty uh, who plays in the attacking positions. Lovitz obviously gets forward and into the attack a little bit, but he's a fullback. Hey, or at times a wingback. Dave on set pieces, baby. Yeah, yeah. Dave, I'll leave the man I, out. He, <laughs> Dave Romney is 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 head 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 is his dominant foot. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly, when it comes to scoring, at least, but. Um, yeah, it, it is a type of balance that that Nashville SC has has sorely lacked. Again, I don't know that it's going to be a huge deal in every game, but it, it can provide something that they don't have, they didn't have previously. Similar to what we've said about Shaq Moore, both before his arrival and in the in the five or six games that he's now played for Nashville SC, a fullback who can stay high and wide, but also has the ability to cut inside, gives Nashville SC a different dynamic. And you know, I don't want to say these two players are like you know so key to this team, although they are important. Um, you do have Hani Mukhtar still. I've heard he's pretty good. I might, might have said it already in this podcast. But you do have the ability to, to change your spacing, to change the angles from which you attack, and that's really important. Now, as for Alex Muel, this is a guy who is, is as ingrained in the NSC DNA as it's possible to be. A, a, a hardworking winger, very willing to do the defensive stuff, really honestly willing to try stuff uh, to paraphrase Bruce arena <laughs> on the attacking end. He's going to be a guy that has a role to play. I think in games where Nashville SC is less confident about how their attack is going to operate. Wheel probably makes more sense as the guy to start. Maybe Schaffelberg comes off the bench, but um, yeah, he's not going to be a guy that you expect to go 90 minutes more often than not as he has been because, and it, it might not even be specifically because of Schaffelberg's talent, but because there's just more depth up front now. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll talk a bit about the width, but I think also the speed of Schaffelberg is something that's such an asset. You know, it's almost a an Abu Dunladi situation of mm-hmm. kind of that you can just play the ball over the top to and and please be healthier. It, <laughs> it, yeah, knock on that wood for sure, especially with the injury your Nashville's had. Yeah, Abu, you know, when he was healthy, could blaze past anybody on the pitch, and we saw some of that from Schaffelberg, and that's going to force obviously the right side of defenses to stretch out to, to counter him and leave more room in dangerous areas than pockets, half spaces for Leal and Mukhtar uh, to operate as they love to do and freelance out that out there. Also, that, that wide left wing is going to, I think, remove a little bit of that pressure for Lovitz to get forward in the overlap on the outside. Maybe he can underlap a little bit if he wants, but you know, with Shaq Moore being so aggressive, assuming he, he's healthy enough to continue on the right side, Lovitz can have a little more license to sit back and solidify that defensive integrity um, as well. So I think it, it helps you on, on both ends. And one thing Gary Smith talked about post game too, is that the speed of Schaffelberg forces fullbacks to sit a couple yards off of him. Right. And when you're doing that, when you're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, be that defensive back playing soft coverage, if you will, back to college football uh, versus the press man, then there's room to cross. And, yeah. and I think that's another thing. The service from Schaffelberg was really pretty solid. Very, again, small sample size, but, but you saw that. And even, pregame Eddie Carvacho looked at me he said man that service looks really good in warm-ups it's warm-ups it's playing against air but but nonetheless you you could see some sharpness there from Schaffelberg yeah the actually a basketball analogy makes a lot of sense for, for the football analogy that you just brought up if you can shoot the three-pointer you're opening up your your ability to drive because teams have to step out and, and cover you and um, it's something that if you have the ability to blaze by guys um, if you have the ability to drive in, in the basketball analogy, there you're going to get more open shots or, or, in his case, more open crosses, more likely. But, yeah, when you have one elite ability, it really does open things up. I, I do want to give a real quick shout-out to the Heaters, uh, the supporters group, for a very good a very good joke. They called him the Nova Scotia Neymar, which is a, a very nice little nickname for him. And, uh, yeah, and I also noticed – I don't know if you noticed this, Wes. Did it, did it look like he should grow a mustache? That's what I thought. I saw him. I was like, this guy looks like he needs a mustache. And it might just be because they're playing against Paxton Pomacall, but it looked like a mustache would just be, you would really tie the room together. And then you can have supporters that wear the fake mustaches and call themselves the Stashelbergs. Oh, oh, look at that. Next to the chaos corner, the Stashelbergs. I think that that works pretty well. No, that's now all I'm going to think about. (laughs) He's a pretty young guy. I don't know if he can grow a full one. It might take a while, but worth a try. Uh, Jesse Cooper, is Gary the answer going forward after this performance? I say no. He's going to get the job done, but not win trophies. What's your opinion? It, it's a curious time to try to fire the manager <laughs> after a, a 4-0 win. Um, look, I, I think I, I respect the good faith of everybody reaching out to us and asking questions. I think we're going to we're gonna both express some disagreement here with whether Gary's the answer moving forward. Uh, but, but Jesse, I want to invite you, seriously, in serious dialogue, tweet back at us with who you think would be a better answer. As an Arsenal supporter here, me, uh, as a University of Tennessee fan, I, I have grown accustomed now to what can happen. 
when you get rid of somebody who you think is not going to take you to the promised land without a clear answer as to what comes next. Um, that's been the story of my sports existence. So, <laughs> uh, you know, neither of us are going to sit here and, and advocate for the manager to be fired, especially after a 4-0 win, and especially given the, the bona fides he's built up. He's got a cup. He has taken a team to a trophy mm-hmm. in this league before. We don't have to go through all those reasons. But but quite quite seriously, Jesse, I, thanks for the question. Let us know. Like, who do you think would be a better fit that would be attainable? Pep Guardiola is probably not walking through that door. Pep Guardiola is going to be the guy. And, and I don't think there's there's much question, any question, that, that he's the guy moving forward for this team, at least at this point. For, for me, the question is, how realistic is it to win a trophy? And when you look at the trophies that teams can win, um, you have MLS Cup. Um, obviously, you know, been within a couple game or a couple uh, penalty kicks of advancing a little bit farther in the playoffs each of the first two years, then then uh, probably feels very satisfying. Um, and then you look at uh, similarly with the U.S. Open Cup this year, you really feel like Nashville SC was hard done by officiating. Um, we don't need to rehash it, but an inexperienced official did not call a good game. Um, you look at the Supporters Shield. I think Supporters Shield is probably the one that you say, I don't see Gary Smith winning that he wants to make it to the playoffs he wants to finish high in the, in the table specifically to go out and win the, the trophy that's more meaningful and then down the road you look at things like leagues cup there on the way and, and potentially if, if nashville finishes high enough um in the league at any point the Concacaf champions league those sorts of things i think this team is built for knockout rounds um obviously this has been a really rough year for for many reasons it's not been the year that anyone expected and particularly guys like teal bunbury and anibal godoy who had to watch a lot of it from skyboxes rather than the, the sideline or on the field but i don't think we've seen anything that says okay knockout tournament gary smith can't get it done and on the contrary we know that he can get it done because he has gotten it done and mm-hmm. i think when when you see a team that Honestly, if you, if you had run back last year, I think that team, if you had the, the health of that team and, and were just able to do it all over again, you could be looking at a team that's contending for Supporters Shield right now. It's just really bad luck in terms of health, really bad luck in, you know, in terms of what I call luck um, finishing, I guess we can say. But I don't think that there's, that there's too much to worry about with Gary Smith. Is he, is he going to be uh, the guy who is who's sought out by European teams, maybe not, but you don't need that sort of guy to win trophies in this league. And you probably don't want that sort of guy no. to win trophies in this league, unless it's somebody like Jim Curtin who has, you know, built his reputation over a number of years, not kind of a flash in the pan sort of guy who would get poached by a, a European team. Yeah, you have to have that domestic experience here. Gary pretty much counts as a domestic manager by now uh, because he's been around this this league so long and it's, it's the demands are unique. He's the guy. He will continue to be the guy. He's been um, within 200 minutes of, of a trophy three times already for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to, to, to summarize what you said there, uh, yeah, it's just not really a question in, in our minds at this point. Um, no coaching tenure lasts forever, but, but this one's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Um, Shaq, more questions here. John Mueller was the immediate sub for Shaq, largely precautionary. Should we be very worried? Kate Baker, is Shaq okay? It still remains to be seen there. But Tim, rather than us, you know, unless you've heard anything, I haven't being, you know, omniscient about the injury, how much of an impact would it be to this team if now they're back to the pre-Shaq days and they've got to think about maybe moving to a three-man back line, putting Wheel back out there or a four-man with, with Eric Miller? Yeah, I'm not huge on that. Uh, obviously, they brought in Shaq more because they wanted to make this transition. But <clears throat> to get really quickly, um, this is my fault. Gary Smith was not asked about it after the game on Sunday night. So uh, that's my goof, everyone. But, but, but uh, if it had been serious, Gary would have brought it up. You're probably not going to get a lot of the post-game presser anyway that quickly. After. Right. If it, if it had been something that they were really worried about, Gary would have brought it up. You know, he brought up, um, you know, Teal Bunbury out of the blue. I, th- I might have asked him about Teal in the pre-game press conference saying Teal's out a couple more weeks. Um, when you look at Ake Loba, he's been very clear. Ake is on his way back, but it's going to be a little while before he's healthy enough to come back. Gary's going to bring that sort of stuff up if he thinks a guy isn't going to be there. Um, there's no reason to kind of, you know, be misleading or, or a little bit too cloak and dagger about injuries. And that's something that Gary has has matured with in, in the course of his time at Nashville. See, in USL days, he was he wanted to be secretive all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm not too worried about Shaq. Obviously, we are a little bit of a ways away from, from Ake and probably a, little, a couple more weeks for Teal as well. So um, the overall injury picture isn't that bad. Um, again, you know, I, I do think that as Nashville wants to rep this back four. I actually think Eric Miller is a better fit for a back four than he is as a wing back. Anyway, mm-hmm. Alex Mwil, yep. you're seeing that he can play a different role as a true winger in a, in a four, two, three, one formation. I think the roster is now playing the, the formation that mm-hmm. it is built to play. 
So regardless of whether Shaq is, is, you know, kind of on the mend a little bit, as long as Miller's ready to go, I know people, people, people aren't Eric Miller's uh, fans and we're, we've always been the biggest Eric Miller defending podcast of record as well. But um, I don't think it's something to worry about too much. You're obviously losing something. Otherwise Nashville SC wouldn't have brought in Shaq more because they, they wanted to bring in a player who could provide more. Um, no pun intended. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much as long as it's not something that's going to go, you know, towards the end of the season. Well, hopefully uh, more isn't in the injury shack for too long. Hopefully he's able to, to continue uh, best wishes as well to Martin Poss, who took quite a nasty shot from the, uh, the knee of CJ Sapong. Glad he was able mm-hmm. to continue as well. He'd be probably yeah, a long, well. long evaluation by the physio. Glad to see him, uh, Know, get up and, and be okay yeah absolutely and um nashville sc fans glad he still conceded plenty of goals in the process of, of being okay <laughs> uh, last question from jay maza if you did the preseason expected points per game similar to what the staff at the club does are we above or below where each of you expected this to be so i actually didn't map all this out before the season which would have been a fun thing to go reference now but i tried to put myself in my time machine and, and, and in the headspace of, of trying to project what each team was going to be which is impossible in this league and tried to actually retroactively add up what i probably would have expected so this is the most imperfect data source you have ever heard that's <laughs> uh, what i'm saying your, your fake memory of a fake hypothetical <laughs> yeah that's that's it other than that it's extremely reliable uh, and i came up with 44 points um again i'm not going to go through each match but that's just the total you just have to trust i aggregated it all it's 44. That would have Nashville in third, um, and uh, that's an unfair calculus, uh, really. Uh, when you think about you know some dramatically improved teams, and, and certainly some who have uh, who have dropped off, uh, but that's about where, and that's really about where the expected goals table would have Nashville if if they had won or drawn the matches that they led or tied in expected goals, they'd be in around third place. Yeah, I, I think the XG thing uh, obviously is very close to my heart. <laughs> but I, yeah, this team has underachieved in the table for sure. When you add up the points, uh, yeah, you look at games like Sporting Kansas City at home, Portland at home, Asheville SC got far fewer points than we would have expected in those games. I would actually say whether it's because of the front loading of the schedule to be away games or, and you know, and the team's form falling off or because there is something where they have had a difficult time specifically at home. The away record is about where I would have expected it to be. It's been the home record that's been disappointing, and there are four opportunities to fix that going forward. All right, let's go outside in. And uh, just a couple of, of housekeeping notes here. A couple of loan moves for this Nashville team. Hanwala Buana uh, is in Memphis now uh, with hopefully, Tim, for him, a chance to improve his future with the club by, by producing up to his potential when it, minutes just weren't going to be there to be had in Nashville. I really like Hanwala Buana. He's just – he's – He's almost a, a Don Laudian figure to me at this point. He hasn't been healthy enough to contribute. I mean, he has a, a sort of sauce on the wing that nobody else on this team has been able to provide. Maybe Jacob Schaffelberg will be able to provide that. And the fact that Schaffelberg is coming in is, is part of why Buono is kind of surplus to requirements right now. So, um, yes, Memphis 901 is, is going to be a good place for him to get on the field. He has well beyond USL talent. He's, mm-hmm. he's you know maybe squad depth talent for an MLS team, but that's, that's really high level for USL. So we'll hopefully see him uh, achieve at a high level there. And Ahmed Longmire's back in the fold, back from Orange County after he failed to start a match after his first three in USL, there was a red card and a bit of a mm-hmm. suspension in there uh, as well. He'd come on as a reserve a couple of times since then. I, I would imagine this is not a sign of necessarily a plan to use him as a center back reinforcement, especially with the four, the four man back line, yeah. two center backs, which means Jack Mayer's there and obviously starting quality uh, as well. Um, more probably of a concession that the loan just wasn't as productive as, as Nashville hoped. I actually kind of go back the other way when they okay. announced it, announcing it on a match day, you're always like, Oh God, is he going to be in the squad? Cause we saw that happen with Jack Mayer. Times. Yeah. Um, obviously there were uh, extenuating circumstances there that d- didn't apply to this one. Walker Zimmerman, you know, suddenly um, his, his son Tucker was born like a month early and he had to rush to the hospital on match day. He was, he was unable to, to play in the game. So Obviously, those situations didn't come around this time. And I did think, um, you know, I, I'm a sicko. I'm the king sicko here. I, I have watched all of Longmire's performances. He he was getting minutes until the red card was suspended for an extra couple games because it was a, a red card for fighting. It was a situation where he was then kind of punitively benched um, thereafter. And I think Nashville just kind of said, hey, if all you're going to do is bring him on in like the 87th minute or whatever, if he's not going to get any minutes for you, he might as well be getting zero minutes for us as well. So that's a situation where, you know, I think, I think they decided 
you know, the minutes that he's not going to get are, are they might as well be with us. And then an update on Cozy Donaciano as well. Yeah, so Cozy is is having an incredible an incredible time on loan. Um, his team, Phoenix Rising, is playing pretty horribly. Um, Rick Schantz, their their longtime coach, recently resigned. Um, I think is to probably move on to life beyond soccer more than just because the results haven't been good enough there. But Cozy is playing as a as a central midfielder, or he's playing as an advanced midfielder in a four three three formation. So kind of one of those dual eights as we would say for the, for the lingo uh, enjoyers among us, but this dude is getting in like 20 duels a game. And if you look at stats of MLS games at USL games, a lot of duels for like the most duels of any player on a team is like eight. And he's like doubling that up time after time. And, and this is a dude who's, who's like five, seven, one fifty, and he's winning well over half of them. I, I was a little bit skeptical after he was sent on loan again this year that he was going to be a contributor, but seeing the way that he's become such a key piece of what they do, I think you're seeing a guy who's developing to be, you know, not necessarily a, a Brian Anunga because Anunga is so big and strong. He's like a thick guy and, and Cozy's never going to be that, but he's a guy who played fullback in college and is, is coming around to playing in the middle of the park. And I think he's doing it as well as you could possibly expect, but he's also taken, I want to say nine shots and none of them have been on target. So, so we, we see room for improvement. As well. Take those chances. Take those chances. <laughs> uh, on to the final whistle. And uh, rather than a content recommendation, Tim, I actually want to give a word of thanks because last week we said, look, our recommendation is something we're going to follow ourselves, which is to pick an obscure league or maybe just not a top six league and start following a team there. And if you do that already, tell us, and we might just join you in that. I got two great suggestions. And my my obscure team that I follow is West Ham United of the of the EFL Championship. <laughs> Soon to be way down at the bottom of the table <laughs> to find them right now. Man, after uh, Nottingham Forest and then Brighton, man, what? How how far the the I can't call them a giant has fallen. They're never a giant. Yeah. But they're pretty good there. Um, so, so the recommendations were not West Ham. Thank goodness for for. <laughs> Uh, Scott reaches out and he gave me a, he gives me a chart of the Scottish Premiership and Second Division compared to college football teams. Now I resent uh, the comparison to actually to the the I believe it was Hibs Hibernian that was that was Tennessee, which was expectations are too high and there's no ability to reach them anymore. I'm like ouch, that burns, that hurts. It would, that does it burn because it's so accurate? <laughs> is, that, is that your issue with it? Falsehoods don't really hurt. <laughs> it's when there's a, an element of truth that it hurts so much. So yes, thank you for saying that quiet <laughs> part out loud. Yes, of course. Uh, so it was it was really cool. He's a Dundee FC supporter, uh, and uh, I'm not going to go you know Celtic or Rangers. I think that's the ultimate bandwagon move. But there are some options there, and I appreciated that. And then got got the DM from Josh, who um, is a Dynamo Dresden supporter. They recently fell to the third division of, of German soccer, despite being a 35,000 seat stadium, despite having a massive following, great culture. Uh, in a, in a good sized city there in East Germany. And, and it, he talked through, and I've of course done some reading about this as well. The, you know, the disadvantages faced by East German teams when the two leagues merged and West German soccer was just better. The leagues were better funded or the teams were better funded. Um, and, uh, so really interesting storylines there at Dresden, again, third division right now of Germany getting massive crowds and, and the video imagery is just incredible. So, uh, Dynamo Dresden, I've actually been through Dresden and, and Side of one of the most tragic scenes in World War II, um, and they have they have blossomed into a beautiful city with a cool culture, and so that's that's a good option. Thanks, Josh, and thanks, Scott, for taking us to Scotland. Since you mentioned Dresden, my uh, recommendation is Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, no, it isn't, but I take it back. It is. That's just not my official content recommendation <laughs> for the for the episode. <laughs> um, Slaughterhouse Five rocks. Everyone should read it. Um, but. Uh, Wes, are you a fan of of you? You mentioned earlier of of Red Bull style football. I enjoy it. Are you a fan of of young gentlemen whose names are spelled unconventionally, even though they're very normal names? For example, Brendan's <laughs> Leeds United is 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 basically America East at this point. I want to recommend the Square Ball, which is a podcast covering uh, Leeds United. These guys are super high on manager Jesse Marsh, who came from New York Red Bulls, obviously, as I'm alluding to here. Uh, they are very high on midfielder Brendan Aronson. They're very, extremely, extreme, like you couldn't overstate how high they are on Tyler Adams as a central midfielder. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we've talked a lot about how the, the U.S. men's national team is is a passion for both of us. We it, 
they got me into soccer and obviously you're you're a guy who who roots for the national team in a big way as well seeing the the way that um american talent is perceived differently and as leads uh does things like smash chelsea uh they're they're going to be put on a, a very big stage going forward the square ball is is probably the the biggest Leeds United podcast out there. I know they post their episodes on YouTube as well. It's a very easy place to find them. Check them out. Their most recent episode was awesome because uh, Brendan Aronson had a great game against Chelsea and it was very exciting. And, and Tyler Adams as well. It is the podcast of record for coverage of Ellen Road uh, brought to you by a couple of Leeds gentlemen. Uh, I, what a great story. And obviously neither of us is going to be too sad to see Chelsea lose. But but the you know, the American leadership of that uh, of that coup against them was huge. And, and I think you know, there are, there are going to be books written about what's happening in, at Leeds mm-hmm. if, it, if it continues to go even modestly well. Uh, and I, I can't wait. Can't wait to see uh, Grant Wall also with a good long form piece. He visited Leeds, I believe, in the off season and wrote about that. I can't fully recommend it because I'm halfway through it. I have a two year old. <laughs> it happens. Uh, but uh, but some excellent material being written and, and Leeds is going to be a focus of affection for a lot of Americans are going to make that their second club or maybe their first. Uh, we will see. Uh, thanks guys for listening uh you just heard not just uh the podcast of record for nashville sc coverage but then a recommendation of another podcast of record <laughs> uh, that's what you get when you hang on Podception. Uh, thanks to ml rose for giving me way more delicious post-game treats than sushi and juice boxes uh and of course for uh for giving us the opportunity to talk about them and meet up with many of you there thanks to moon taxi for the music uh Hop on or uh, or steal a friend's phone, as they rec- recommend on Lamestream Sports, and, and, and just do a quick rate and review of, uh, of our show. And uh, we will publicize those if you, if you so want them to be, and if they are five stars. Uh, subscribe to the show, and you'll get the, uh, the, the podcast downloaded straight to your inbox. Tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter. And thanks, as always, to the 440 Sports Network for giving us this opportunity to talk about this club. Tim, any final thoughts before we get ready for Vancouver? Oh, just excited to see that Nashville SC has made us look smart by kind of finally coming around to the expected goals. And may they continue to do that over the stretch run of the season. Maybe they can ride a wave against the Whitecaps. We'll talk to you guys next week.